will you help me drive back to Texas? I'm like, no, I bought a plane ticket. I'm, I'm flying back. It's like 17 hours or something. I'm like, no. <laughs> to get to share a locker room with him at his first NFR, I mean, that was badass. I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah, I'm getting to hang out with JB Mooney. And I'm pretty sure I drove right past uh, another rodeo that was on the day before. Welcome, Mr. Kai John Hamilton, to the Rodeo Time Podcast. What an amazing story we're about to get into. My man here, um, sitting number two in the world, all the way from across the world. He's an Australian and an amazing story. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about RodeoTime.com and the new cart feature on that website. Whenever you add certain amounts of money into that cart, some a reward system is going to pop up, a little category of free items that you can choose from. Spend $50, $100, there's going to be a reward feature. You can get a free cap here and there. You can get a free hoodie here and there. So, Go to RodeoTime.com right now because Christmas is fastly approaching and uh, we are shipping daily. So you make an order, probably going to ship within 24 hours. And uh, just communicate with us. Something doesn't get there in time, we'll make it right. Our customer service, Ty, is constantly ordering, uh, answering emails. We're going to do our best to get it there quicker than Santa. Check out RodeoTime.com for those uh, deals you can feel. Also, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Rock and Roll Denim. We love that reflex. It's, it's the only way to ride bulls and punch fools. American hat. Suck that cable hat down, old son, and make sure it's an American because that's what I am. Even if you're an Australian, wear an American. Can-Am side-by-side. We love those feed buggies. BRP. Mountain Ops supplements. We'd be nowhere without Ignite. I'd be asleep right now if I hadn't drank an Ignite this morning. Last but not least, Total Feeds for powering the ranch, powering the animals that we've got here on Radiator Ranch. Corey Anderson, Dr. Harry Anderson, they're like family to me. We'd like to thank those uh, sponsors. And uh, now let's hear Kai John's story. He had to clean up like some old uh, calcium, you know, like some buildup oh, yeah. from it coming out so often. Yeah. And then he, uh, he grafted the bone where my bicep, so wherever my bicep connects to the this bone, he had to move that. Essentially, I didn't have a socket anymore because the bone had broken oh. out. You yeah. know, like, so he had to rebuild the socket. So he had to move, graph a piece of bone down to the socket. And it, it happened, to, it, it's a piece of bone that your bicep's connected to. And so he put in two screws and two anchors there. Yeah. It sounded weird, but so essentially, like, it's it's got to grow back right. And, like, it'll affect kind of my, my bicep a little bit. Now, it's the, I think normally it comes, like, up this way, but now mine will come over this way a little. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Huh. It'll be a little different, but have you ever had anything worked on? I've just had, I had my hip scoped and uh, ACL and MCL, but that's about it. Well, you, you recently had. Oh, I, I did, I guess, yeah, I had a plate put in my eye socket. <laughs> yeah. What happened there? Uh, When I went to get off a bull in Albuquerque, uh, I, the whistle blew and I grabbed my tail and he jerked me down right at the end and barely got me with his horn on this right side and like it split me open and I'm like oh just bleeding and yeah they stitched me up and I mean my face swelled up but I didn't think anything of it and uh I went to the ER room in Beaver Utah the next day because we drove back me and Stetson and uh they said yeah you, you got like a broken the bottom of your eye socket's broken but nothing else is. It should just heal by itself. Well, that was just a CT scan. Well, I sent that to Tandy, and he's like, 
you got your muscle and your nerve in between that bone, it's never going to knit back together. So, like, you got to have it fixed. So then they went in and plated it. Thank God for Tandy, huh? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like, he gave you that second opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, he's so smart. Yeah. He's so smart. Like, uh, so I called his office and I was like, because it had come out like five times and he and I had talked about it the second and third time it came out, my shoulder. Yeah. And uh, I called his office. I talked to, I think her name's Jackie that works in the front there. Val's Val's out for now. And anyway, uh, Jackie was like, uh, yeah, we'll schedule for an MRI. And so, and then he called me on his cell phone and he was like, hey, so are you sure you want to have it operated on? And I was like, yeah. I think so. I mean, it's come out five times. He's like, yeah, it's probably, it's getting ready to start coming out all the time. Is yeah. what he said. And he's like, well, let's just schedule surgery and just come in the day before and have an MRI. <laughs> and I was like, cause it's like the day before. And he was like, yeah. And then I'll just decide what I'm going to do. <laughs> and then, so, and, and I talked to a couple of people, they were like, he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. And he was like, no, he's just going to figure it out the day of the day before. And uh, they were like, really? And I was like, I don't think you understand Tandy. And uh, so went in and got the MRI. And he, and even then he was like, so it kind of shows us some things. This is what I think could happen. It's a possibility of two or three things, but I'll decide when I open you up. <laughs> so he didn't even, he didn't, I didn't know what he was going to do till after he had done it. So yeah. I woke up in surgery and he was like, yeah, so we ended up graphing the bone when I looked in there and, uh, with, you know, it's a long story, but the way he explained it to me in layman terms, it made more sense. But it just, like, revealed to me, like, just how brilliant of a man he is and yeah. how many shoulders he's done, you know? Yeah. Do you know uh, Will Reynolds? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Another Australian? Yeah. He was the one. He was like, I had, he had both his shoulders done in Australia by supposedly one of the best over there and but they were both still coming out. Damn. And Tandy, he said Tandy fixed them both. And uh, they've been great ever since. That's wild. Not to throw shade on an Australian doctor. <laughs> He's probably like a normal guy that does really well, but Tandy's just that good. Good, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, So backing up to your story in Albuquerque, weren't you like 90? Yeah, I was 91. Good ride, terrible get off. <laughs> I I I don't know why, but people had told me before, like, when you're behind, don't grab your tail. Like, it's a bad idea to grab your tail and try and get off when you're behind. And I was a little behind. Well, I learned the hard way. I reached for my tail, and right as I did that, he jerked me down. Was he going into your hand? Yeah. 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 Who was fighting bulls? Uh, Cody Emerson, and oh. I can't remember who the other guy was. But I know Cody. Cody... Wasn't sure what happened. He thought I got stunned a little bit or like I just hit the ground hard. He didn't even see the bull's horn hit me. And he's kind of just grabbed me and threw me out of the way. And the bull wasn't that mean, but I landed right by the out gate. And that bull was just going to get out. And I was kind of slow getting up. And he grabbed me and just threw me out of the way. And I, I felt my face and I'm like, oh, it's bleeding. And. Yeah, so then they had to go back there and stitch it up. <laughs> how how long did you have to sit out? Uh, I just, I, at, 
the next day they did that uh, CT scan in Beaver and they just told me it would heal. So I didn't have anything until uh, pretty much two weeks later, the Governor's Cup in Sioux Falls. So I just waited until then before I went anywhere and let the swelling and stuff go down. Oh, so you were getting on pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about this before and um, so we, we, we all we're all familiar with, you know, your recent, you know, story. Kai John Hamilton, right now you're sitting second in the world. Is this your fourth NFR appearance? Yes, sir. Yeah, so four NFRs. Um you're riding great. And we want to get to this year right now, but we we also are curious, like backing up to just the early days, what's it like coming up as a bull rider in Australia and making your way over here? And you can you can back up the story as, as early as you want to start it, but yeah. I've always wondered that and so I feel like a lot of people might be curious. Yeah. No, it's uh it's like compared to being over here, I would have much rather start out over here than at home, but I mean you play the cards you dealt. Uh the over there there's not as many rodeos. Like we can go to one rodeo a weekend and like over there the rodeos are just one perf like mm. they don't run for three four days more there's there's like one big rodeo mount isa and it runs for i think a week but other than that everything's just one perf one performance that's it and sometimes on the long weekends like where you have three day weekend there might be three you can go to that weekend or two but most of the time it's just one and then uh, other than that, it might be one every second weekend. Like there's, there's just not as many and the traveling over there is what kills us. Like it's a lot more expensive to travel and cause there's not as many rodeos, they're a lot further apart. Mm. So trying to rodeo, uh, you like, you can't make a living over there doing it. You have to have a day job and stuff like that. But, uh, other than that, like getting on practice balls, like I got on a lot of practice balls, because I couldn't go to as many rodeos over there. So I was constantly practicing and then I'd go to one rodeo for the weekend, you know, but, uh, and the other thing over there too, is not many guys have practice balls. Like I was kind of lucky. I had, uh, two good friends. One lived about half an hour from me and the other one was an hour and they were a lot older than me. So I couldn't even really start getting on their practice balls until I was like 14, 15, cause they were bigger balls and stuff. And my dad knew I wasn't ready for him, so he wouldn't let me. So uh, I'd have to hound them to buck bulls for me. Yeah. And then, like, even the contractors over there, like, they got day jobs and stuff like that too. So for them to buck bulls for you, it was usually on weekends when they weren't working and stuff. So it was it was kind of a lot harder to get started and kind of get your feet under you over there. But uh, my dad, he used to ride and then... Troy Dunn, he only lived like 45 minutes away from me. So mm. I had a pretty good support crew growing up over there uh, to teach me the fundamentals and and uh, be around the right people uh, to get started. So I th- that that was a big help. And probably without that, it, it wouldn't have gone as far as it did. And uh, there was another guy, Brian Duggan. There was a bull riding arena out the back of a pub over there. And he'd have practices Wednesday and Friday nights and then he had a series and 
it was once a month and there was two different series, but it was pretty much the same balls and stuff. And I think one was just like a junior and novice and the other series was like junior novice and open. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I went to them every month and every time he lived, it was like three and a half hours away from me. So when I started working, I'd drive three and a half hours to go down to the practice on the Friday nights, practice, and then do the rodeo that he had that Saturday night. So I, but that guy had great stock and I remember he, we were riding steers and we were riding all the steers he had and he started putting his young bulls in the steer riding for us to get better on because we were riding all his steers, but we weren't quite ready for his junior bulls yet because they were a little bigger and stuff like that. So he'd put his real young, like two-year-old bulls in the steer ride for us so that we could get on them and get better even there. So yeah, he, he really helped us progress a lot. So. How old were you when you first got on? Uh, I first got on when I was 11, and uh, I just entered the calf riding, and I think – I hadn't, I had never been on one, and I won third or something like that. So, dang, yeah. But so, so you were able to start pretty young. How old are you yeah, now? Twenty three. Twenty three. Yeah. Dang. So, uh, when did you make? When did you come over? Uh, the first time I was fifteen, and I made the junior high school finals over here. I think they were in Des Moines, Iowa. And I can't, mom and dad brought me over for two weeks to go to that. And, uh, I mean, that didn't go worth a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting to come over here and do good things. And I think I rode one out of the three bulls and, uh, it didn't go very well at all. But then I come over again when I was 17 and I went to, uh, some youth bull riding finals in Texas here and I spent a month kind of a month over here and went to some amateur rodeos and stuff like that. And it, it went a lot better. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been to the junior high and high school finals a couple of times. Like we'd set up a booth and hang out, you know, and with the bull riders and there was always three, four, five Australian kids there. Yeah. It was always neat to watch them interact and, and there'd be some from Mexico and, uh, Brazil, but, um, maybe not Brazil, but, do you have, I'm sure it's there, but like, essentially, like you would be classified as like an immigrant. And I feel like a lot of immigrants come into this country super hungry. Yeah. And I doubt that cowboys, rodeo cowboys are any different. Like, do you feel, do you feel like you have maybe a, a um, an added hunger to dr- that drives your success, you know, your motivation to be successful? Yeah, I think so. Like, coming from another country, I mean, just getting to be comfortable in the way the other country is and how things work, I mean, that's something in itself to try and get used to, along with, I mean, the bulls over here are a little different style of bull. Well, uh, we have the same kind of bulls at home, but there's more of, uh, uh, I say, there's more different kinds of bulls over here and I mean that's something I had to get used to too but uh yeah I mean like I looked up to Troy Dunn and I seen what he was able to do over here so I mean I was hungry coming over here wanting to do the same thing and and prove a point that like Australians can do it too like it's 
like obviously America and Brazil are probably the top in bull riding and so there's not many Australians that do come over here and succeed so I mean that that was an added hunger that I wanted to come over here and do good and and for as long as I could and kind of make a name for myself so I'm sure there was also some pressure like if you were to maybe have a a slump of two, three, four bulls that you buck off of, you just go to thinking like, well, dang, I don't want to go back. Or, I mean, like, I don't want to go back because I'm bucking off, you know? Yeah, that, the, when I first come over here, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of money, and I was lucky I was going to college, so, I mean, that was kind of paying some of the way, but, yeah, for sure, going from having a nine-to-five job at home, knowing where you're getting consistent money, and then going to the rodeos and bull riding's on the weekend like the pressure of money wasn't really there but then coming over here and the only way I'm making money is if I rodeo and stay on I mean that that was something too that took a little while because yeah in the same token when I first got here I was still trying to learn and get better and I wasn't as good then so yeah wanting to stay on to make sure you got enough money that was another added pressure um and going college rodeos, I, I I think I know this about you, but even if I didn't, it seems like every Australian goes to Snyder. Is that, <laughs> that's where you went, isn't it? I did I did one year at Odessa, and then I went to Sol Ross in Alpine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. I I had heard about Snyder, but I never really looked into it. And then uh-huh. I had some friends that had gone to Odessa at the time, and uh, knew CJ Aragon that was the coach there at the time. Right. So I. Like, I thought the only two schools were Odessa and Snyder. <laughs> I I didn't know about and, all these other schools. And they just battled it out. Yeah. Every college rodeo, those two just battled it out. Pretty much. Um, yeah, it seems like there's always Australians there in Snyder. But um, looking back, like, it seems like over the years, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like most of the Australians that have come through have been bronc riders like it seems like a lot of bronc riders yeah it seems like over the last few years there's i didn't know there was that many bronc riders in australia <laughs> and i didn't know that there was that many good ones too like it seems like this past two years there's been a lot of good bronc riders come over yeah. and i didn't even know there was that many guys like when i first started rodeoing i, I went to a couple of rodeos with uh lance kelly you yep. know Lance? Yeah. So, yeah, Lance was, and he was my first, you know, Australian interaction that I'd ever had. And so hearing a lot of those stories, he seemed like he had lived like a full life in Australia before he came over here. Like he, I don't, I, he may have been a younger guy when he came over here, but it seems like maybe lower 30s when yep. he came over. So like he had lived like a good amount of his life there in australia and then come over but um and then uh you know i think everybody knows sam spreadboro um travis edwards yeah got to be around him a lot he was uh i think ran around the stace smith crew quite a bit um i don't how old is troy dunn uh i think he's like 56 maybe 55 somewhere in there so he was he was kind of was he one of the ones that paved the way Okay. Yeah, I'd say for the bull riders, there there was like uh, shoot, uh, 
the a bronco oh daryl kong i mean like he was one of the first big bronco riders from australia but i'd say for the bull riders uh definitely troy because i mean around that time too things were starting to be on tv and stuff like that so a lot of people got to see his success but yeah uh troy dunn and greg potter i'd say are probably like the two biggest guys from australia yeah it seems like yeah maybe maybe also the internet has helped amplify it but um salsa yeah um there's another one also redheaded is it maybe tom knight oh yeah yep tom knight yeah Yeah. uh and everybody all you guys seem so happy to be here everybody seems so like just grateful for life yeah it it's a whole different world over here like like i was saying earlier like you over there, you get to go to one rodeo a week, and, like, over here, you can go to one just about every day if you want. And I mean, that's why I came over here, so I could ride bulls. And, I mean, I love it. You get to do what you love for a living. And is So what made you pick Texas? Uh, just because I had heard it's the place to be for bucking bulls like Texas and Oklahoma. So, I mean, that was kind of the place i wanted to go i had heard that if you want to ride bulls that's a good place to be so that's kind of why i picked texas and i had a couple of contacts and stuff over here around texas so um i'm getting a little warm and it's a process for me to take a hoodie off right now (laughs) (laughs) um so tell me about what you can you, you what what year did you come over here you said uh the end of 2018 so you've been here almost right at five years. Yeah. Man, so you made your NFR the second year you were here. Yeah. What, what was it like that first year you were here and then making your first NFR? What was it like rodeoing then? Uh, so my first year, I didn't know where anything was. <laughs> <laughs> like rodeo-wise? Yeah, I think I entered like an Extreme Bulls in Laramie, Wyoming, and I'm pretty sure I drove right past uh, another rodeo that was on the day before <laughs> you just like you're talking about like geography wise you yeah. just didn't know like town to town i'd ha- every time i looked at the business journal i'd have to like look at my maps to see where uh-huh. this town was like i had no idea yeah. and uh so i mean it was a little rough that first year on my permit i'm like i and i the other thing too i didn't i didn't know how good I was so I kind of just entered the smaller rodeos hoping that the better guys weren't there and I could win some money and so it it was a little scatterbrains there and I was also amateur rodeoing a little bit too and I I knew I wanted to do good things and like make the NFR and stuff but I didn't really know how to go about it Uh and at the time I was staying at Cody Lambert's uh-huh. And the end of 2019, I was going up to the stockyards every Friday and Saturday night because there was nothing else on, and I was kind of using that as my practice and and winning a little money and stuff. And I think Cody come down to the house, uh, the bunkhouse one morning. And he was like, "You been watching the NFR on TV?" I said, "Yeah," and he said, "That's where you should be at next year." And like at this point, I'm still wide eyed and like looking at Cody Lambert like he's a god yeah and I'm like it 
shocked me. I'm like, geez, Cody Lambert just told me I should be going to the NFR next year. Like, and that kind of lit a fire under me and made me kind of realize that I did have potential to go and do that. And it, it gave me a goal to yeah. strive towards and something to work towards. So, uh, 2020 started and I still didn't know where places were, but I just knew I had to go to the rodeos where all the most money was added. So that's all I did was enter the rodeos with the most money added and kind of just figured out where they were and whether I had to fly there or I could drive there. I just kind of figured it out. And yeah. (laughs) So you, um, so you were in Texas at the start, man, the stockyards. Did you go to Billy Bob's any? I never went to Billy Bob's. I, I had heard it could be sketchy, so I know I never went to Billy Bob's. I just went to the stock. Yeah, that's what you drew the line somewhere yeah. in that alley. Yeah, where they trot across <laughs> to the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always try to wrap up. There's like a time that um, the stockyards has to be done. Like when they're running that perf, they've got to be done by a certain time because they're going to start Billy Bob's Billy bull riding. Yeah. at a certain time, and um, <clears throat> you know, getting a lot of interns here and. I'll always, you know, we'll be talking about rodeoing and it's like, you know, cause I feel like Texas, especially when you're starting out, is just the perfect place because they've got every level yeah, every weekend. You can go to something every weekend of the year in Texas. Yeah. Thankful, thankfully for the stockyards and then a winter series here and there. Yeah. And, um, uh, anyhow, we're having those conversations and November comes around. It's like, what are we going to go to? It's like, well, you could go to the stockyards, you know, and yeah. <clears throat> you know that they, they have a repu- a really good reputation for for the bull riding and they don't get enough horse riders sometimes you know you're not sure what kind of bronc you might draw in the horse riding but it is somewhere to go yeah and i can just picture you having said all that like i i can picture you being really hungry and like this time of year it's november and like nothing's going to phase you or keep you from entering something if it's if it means a chance to win money or get better. Yeah. Like what was your mentality in terms of like those kind of bull ridings, maybe something that not everybody wanted to go to, but then also like the practice pin kind of bulls, like do you feel like you had a, a, a maybe a competitive edge against American bull riders who were taking it for granted? Yeah, I – I'd almost say something along that lines. Like that that was the deal. I wanted to come here and get better and and make it to where I could make a living doing it. So any chance I was getting to practice or go to something an hour down the road to where I could ride for money, I was going to it because I, I was still trying to figure out how to ride and I needed money at the time, so any chance I got to go and ride for money, I was going to it, and it didn't really matter how much was added or what yeah. bulls they were. I I just knew I had to get better at riding, and I knew I had to be making money. So. It's just crazy to think about because, like, having grown up in Texas and been around a lot of practice pens, a lot of rodeos, amateur, professional in Texas, like I get to see a variety of rough stock riders and the way they approach the sport. Yeah. But something about like when you guys come over, like that's a long plane ride. It's a very expensive ticket. You don't get to make that often. And 
something about coming over here, like you've burned the boats and you now like, it's like either go forward or go home. Yeah. And so like, what do I need to get better? Who do I need to put myself around? Which is what I want to get to next with you. And it just seems like you've got a different, I mean, the only word for it would be perspective, you know, like, like, because I feel like there's a lot of guys with maybe two or three practice pins within arm's reach where maybe they don't get on as many bulls as they need to. They just feel like it's always going to be there. Yeah. You know, but if you're coming from, you go to one rodeo this month and it's six hour drive across Australia, you're going to have a different mindset. Yeah. And I, I feel like if, if you stoke the fire the right way, that could give you a, a different motivation. Yeah. I'm, which I'm sure there's Australians over here that maybe have not been successful. But of those 10 or 12 that I mentioned, I feel like they've all got that drive. Yeah. I know I know. for me, I I remember when I got first got out of school at home, I was 15. And over there, when you turn 15, it's the government, like you either got to be earning or learning. You can go to stay in school or you can go get a job. Well, I wanted to save my money to come over here. So I went and got a job working uh, at a motor trimmer and upholsters. And I remember the first day I walked into work, my boss's wife said to me, she goes, well, congratulations. This is your first day of work for the rest of your life. (laughs) I laughed at myself. I'm like, ah. If you knew what I was planning on doing, you wouldn't be saying that. That's wild. And I th- then I worked for two and a half years until I come over here and went to college. And when I come over here, I knew I was never going to work for someone else ever again. Right. Um, yeah, so many questions. Yeah, and if you would have told her at that time, you know, odds are she may not have believed you. Yeah. But here you are. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, what is it about Australians that you guys are just all so dirty tough? I I don't know. I think it's just the culture over there. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is or what made us that way. Maybe it's because when they discovered Australia, they sent all the convicts over there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think, the way things are over there, the mentality of the people, it's, just dirty, tough yeah. Aussies. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't put a finger on what makes it that way. I didn't know that tidbit. You know, when they discovered Australia, and I went over there with for the PBR to uh, Townsville. Yeah, that bull riding over there, and so learned a lot about. Got to hang out with uh, Brinson, the oh, the, yeah. the new PBR yep. um, face of comedy. Great dude. Anyways, me and Brinson, uh, a couple girls. We were we just rode um, scooters around Magnetic Island out yep. there close to Townsville. It was a super fun trip, so fun, and and just getting we got to go to uh, Billabong Sanctuary, and it was showing us kind of some of the life, you know, the the um, wildlife around the area. Anyways, fun trip, super insightful. But I learned a lot about Australia. You know, obviously, you guys drive on the other side of the road. <laughs> yeah. You know, which I knew that. Well, I didn't realize that means mostly everybody also walks on the other side of the sidewalk. Because I was like walking 
you know, because I didn't have a car over there, so we're walking to eat every night, and I'm just like, man, people are giving me this look, and I feel like I fit in, you know? <laughs> you know, because, I mean, I'm not that, I don't stand out that much, you know? I do a little, but, and then I realize, like, oh, they're having to go around me. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I drive, I walk on the right side of the sidewalk, and they're all walking on the left side, so they got to go around me, and they're like, what's this asshole doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming head on traffic on the <laughs> sidewalk. And, uh. So then, you know, I didn't get the looks, but uh, I was sent over there to film and to kind of capture the trip and promote travel to Australia. And I remember I was in this one, it was in downtown Townsville, and uh, it was real chill. It was like, it's almost like I wasn't sure if stuff was open. Some, I mean, it was a very calm and peaceful. It was it was a it was a neat afternoon, and I was just kind of filming brought you know like some b-roll of the town and i was going to throw it in my video and uh this cop came over and he was like hey be careful with that camera we don't want to make anybody anxious <laughs> and i was like and it was really it, that was odd to me but he was like he made it sound like it was like some maybe it was this inner city thing about but there were just a few things and i feel like out in the country it's pretty much Without the accent, it'd be, like, very similar to over here out in the country. Yeah. But, like, being in the middle of the city was, was like, unique, and that was different. Yeah. Um, but you probably didn't spend a lot of time in cities over there. No, I didn't like the cities at all. I, uh, I'd have to go to Sydney for a week, like, four times a year when I was working for that place to do, like, I get, it's kind of like college. It's, they call it TAFE. And you just, it was like the theory side of the job and stuff like that. So uh -huh. we, we'd go there for a week and I used to hate it. Cause I mean, down in Sydney, it's like multicultural down there. It's almost like spot the Aussie. Right. So, I mean, I didn't really like it, but it, it was a week yeah. out of, out of the year four times. So it wasn't bad. But. So how far from town was your, like, did you live? I I lived like right on the outside of town. Uh, like my dad, he grew up. Uh, his father, my grandfather, he did a ran a lot of like properties and ranches over there. He uh, so my dad grew up on properties and stuff, and day working over there a lot, and then rodeoing. And then when he met my mom, and uh, I got an older brother when he was on the way, dad there's not a lot of money in day working and stuff yeah. over there. So dad didn't want to do that. And he wanted to be home and, and be around the family. So they actually moved to town and, uh, they bought a house on like maybe a quarter of an acre and they built a house there. And that's where we grew up. It was like from the town of Mackay, there's probably, maybe 80,000 people in mm -hmm. there. It's decent size. And we lived about five, 10 minutes from the center of town. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, di I didn't grow up riding horses from day dot and all that kind of deal. I, all my dad's side of the family, they lived in Rockhampton. It's like three and a half hours south of Mackay. And so when I did start wanting to ride and stuff, I'd go down there on my school holidays and spend time at my auntie's and uncle's houses and ride horses and 
and do all that kind of stuff. So, so you as a small kid, like you were kind of revealed to rodeo, like this was something your dad had done. You saw pictures, maybe some videos. I, I think I might've seen one video maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you got, you obviously got introduced to Troy Dunn. Yeah. And so it was like this, this distant dream that you wanted to bring back. Like what, did your brother have the same thing? No, he, me and him complete opposites. Really? So like mom was from town, dad was from the country. And so like my brother, he, he's a diesel mechanic and stuff like that. But I like dad, he worked for a, uh, jj richards like a recycling company driving trucks so i mean he was always dressed to go to work for that so like my first cowboy as such was my grandfather my dad's dad Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter if we were going to the beach or going into the town to go shopping he was dressed like a cowboy and he still day worked and stuff and he had a place in rockhampton so i mean he was the first real like cowboy yeah. I got to see, and I thought he was the coolest thing ever. And then I had the pictures of dad and stuff when he was riding. And so that's kind of where it all, the interest come from. What age was that, you think? I was like three, four. Oh, so early. Early, yeah. Dang. Man, so, I mean, that's that's like super similar to the way that someone over here would get introduced to it. Yeah. I just, I feel like somewhere along the way, that same person over here, I, I, I don't want to throw American bull riders under the bus. Obviously, plenty of them make it, and there's plenty of examples. And, you know, across the board, as far as, like, people that make a living, you know, American bull riders are probably winning that race yep. because that's where the rodeos are. But also, like, I guess I just get a, a lot of, even outside of my intern program, I've always been the guy that people came to when, in my circles that, Hey, I want to try bull riding and I want to, you know, a lot of them, maybe it was a bucket list thing and they yeah. wanted to get on one and see what it was like. And, um, and then some of them like, Hey, I think I want to be a bull rider. And I, I think the reason I was that guy is cause I always had access to a practice pen. Yeah. Like in college and, um, in high school, I was in my high school I was the only rodeo guy. And then in college I had with the rodeo team, our rodeo coach would just send them to me. Anybody that oh, came yeah. to him said, I want to be on the rough stock end. He would just, because at A&M, they didn't have like an organized practice. So it was always up to me. So Texas A&M, big school, a lot of kids want a rodeo. And Dr. Al would always say, call this guy. Yeah. And so my phone was always ringing. And I say that to say just something about the last 15 years of my life, I've, I'm constantly introducing people to the sport of rodeo which i enjoy and love and it's just very few of them follow through with like their original intention yeah and i understand like you don't know what it's going to be like so people think they want to ride bulls and then they get on one like you're just asking for chaos and a storm and it's dangerous and you could die you know or worse you could be in a wheelchair not worse but whatever the point is it's dangerous Anyway, then you get, you know, got, like for instance, Donnie comes along and he, he's green, never done it. And he does come follow through with it, you know, and you see him now it's becoming an income stream and on his way to being his main source of income. And 
I don't know. I watch you guys. I feel like if everyone had a taste of like, if they were to start where you started, like it would just give people a different perspective and a, a different drive of motivation. Yeah. And some people I think over here, bull riding wise, take it for granted and it's right in front of them. And it's just like, maybe I'll try it. Maybe, maybe a little bit, what's the word, um, entitled. Like maybe yeah. I'll try, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to crap on Americans at all. I just, I'm a fan of all the Australians I've met. Yeah. That's where I'm coming from. Like having been around rodeo, like you guys all have such a good attitude. And I, I, I wish there were more of us that had it. Yeah. Is I guess the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. And so speaking of American bull riders, when did you meet Stetson? Uh, so my rookie year in 2020, uh, it was around San Antonio time. He messaged me on Instagram about a bull I'd been on. And that was like before the Cowboy Channel, like the year before the Cowboy Channel wasn't really up and going. So we couldn't look up videos of bulls and stuff. And I sent him a video and stuff and that was about it. And then... In San Antonio, uh, I was just out in the parking lot and getting ready to go somewhere, I think Tucson or something, and he was out there and he just came over and said hi, introduced himself and just chatted away and we are talking about bull riding and stuff and that was about it. And then uh, I don't think, I didn't really see him a whole lot until around the summer sometime i think we we're in yuma colorado or something and i seen him there and he was getting on and i was traveling with colton fritzlin at the time so we were there and kind of met up and bullshit and stuff for a little bit and then when them utah rodeos kind of got going on we were seeing him quite a bit and i couldn't even tell you like the first time that it was like oh let's like go to these rodeos together uh, we went i think one night we were i can't remember where we were going but he said like you guys come stay at the house like can hang out and we'll go to the rodeo tomorrow and whatnot so me and colton went there and spent the night there and hung out a little bit and then i uh i flew up to salt lake to go to a rodeo up there and the following week was the tour finals in Rapid City. And he said, I'll just come stay at the house and then for the week and then we'll head over there at the end of the week. And I said, okay. So kind of did that. And, I mean, we were, we were, like, friends, but, like, I still green, didn't really know him that well and vice versa. And uh, then when we found out the NFI was going to be in Texas – uh, he was wanting to come to Texas really bad. And we we're in Brawley, California. And he was, I flew out there and he drove with his brothers and they had an extra truck. So he was just planning on going back to Texas after Brawley. And he's like, Will you help me drive back to Texas? I'm like, No, I bought a plane ticket. I'm, I'm flying back. It's like 17 hours or something. I'm like, No. <laughs> He said, he said, well, if I win the bull riding and you don't, you have to drive back with me. And if you win the bull riding and I don't, you can fly back. I'm like, okay, deal. 
well, I won the bull riding. <laughs> and then I started feeling bad for him, so I said I'd help him drive back to Texas. That's funny. So then, yeah, he come, He spent two weeks there. I was still staying at Cody Lambert's, and uh, he he come for them two weeks leading up to the NFR, and we hung out there and roped and got on some practice balls, and, and that was pretty much where we hit it off. So, fall of 19, you're watching the NFR. Cody Lambert lots of fire under you and lets you know. I mean, that had to have been something coming from him. Like, hey, this is where you belong. Yeah. And so then did you, but prior to somewhere between the NFR and 19, when Cody tells you that, and 2020 at San Antonio in February, did you make a decision? I'm going to try to go this year. Yeah, literally from the start of January that year, I I said, screw it, I'm going to enter all the big rodeos with the most money added, and I'm just going to go for it. And wound up Septem- end of September, start of October, and it's like, holy shit, I'm Dang. sitting second in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Going into my first NFR. So, so you met Stetson and... I'm just kind of envisioning, you know, because, like, winners don't just hang around anybody, you know. And, I mean, even they may not even be the kind of people that are going to have the the motivational tweets. of You know, like, Stetson may not be the kind of guy that's going to put on, like, a motivational class about, like, who you need to surround yourself with. But he's one of the absolute best in the world. He's He's a future Hall of Famer. He he could go down as the goat in whatever event he wants. And then you get over here. Like, I just, I think that there was a thought process behind him deciding to bring you into his life. And I feel like you're probably a, like a couple of things. Number one, like a likable guy. You're enjoyable to be around, you know, and you're not like a, the way we talk about culture in this company, you know, you're not a cancer to the culture. Like you, you, you have a good attitude. And then number two, I bet your drive to be successful. And then you you were obviously kind of riding bulls at the same level as him. You know, that's speculation on my part. Those are the three things I think played a role. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. And, like, just by being around him more too, like, he's the kind of winner that it doesn't matter who you are. He's going to do whatever he can to help you to make you win and make you better. And I think that was kind of like his personality. He's, and he's outgoing, like nice guy. Like he'll say hi to anyone. doesn't matter who it is. I think that's what kind of started it. And then we start hanging out together and talking about bull riding more. And he, if I had a question or anything about Borad, not any way that he could help me, he was going to do it. Like he's that kind of winner to where he doesn't see anyone as a threat. He just wants to see other guys do well as well as himself. Yeah. Um. So that's 2020. So by the end of 2020, you guys are kind of officially like going to travel together. Yeah, pretty well. I think, uh, the start of 2021 i i think i told him i said if i'm gonna rodeo again this year because i was at the time i was kind of thinking about going to some pbrs and stuff i said if i'm gonna rodeo again i want to go with you 
And he was like, he didn't blink an eye at it. He's like, come on, we'll do it. So, who was he outside of his brothers? Was he really going with anybody else at the time? No, Not just really. just himself. Yeah. Was he cross event buddying with his brothers? I I think uh, for twenty twenty he was going with Ryder. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. So cross event buddying, you can. If you're entered in two events, so Stetson would have been bronc riding and bull riding. In one of those two, you can buddy with one other person. Person, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of a a, a unique rule. Anyway, we're not going to get into the weeds on rules. but <laughs> um, So now, a cross event buddies with you. Yep. Did <clears throat> him getting on Bronx, how did that play a role in y'all's entering? Uh, that, well, the last few years, like you said, not getting into the ins and outs of rules, the last few years, it's, it's kind of been a shamble, like, they'll split him up sometimes, <laughs> like, we'll have to be in Reno for two days, because he's got to get on a bull and bronc, but it, I mean, it's, doesn't bother me at all, like, I, I know I'm getting on the same amount of bulls as him, and I'm going to the same places as him. So there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to win as much yeah. as he does. So I mean, yeah. it it there's like sometimes there'll be guys going to extreme bulls that we won't get to go to and stuff like that. But yeah, it doesn't bother me. I know if I'm going the same places as him, I can win just as much as him. So yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. If he's if he's able to be number one in the world in the bull riding while he's also getting on Bronx, like yeah. why shouldn't you be able to be competitive? going to those that's a really good point yeah yeah if he was like winning the bronc riding but then number 23 in the world in the bull riding and you were trying to travel with him that might be a different yeah perspective but he's literally number one in the bull riding so like it, it's not bothering him that he's entered into so why should yeah yeah that's a really good point yeah um so then you take off in 2021 and that's the year JB decides to go to rodeos instead of PBRs. Yeah. When did y'all cross paths with JB? Uh, I want to say, well, yeah. So I can't remember exactly that year. I, th I think we had met up, been out to his place. Me and Stetson went out there one time. Might have been like in the winter or something of 21. Mm -hmm. And kind of hung out there for a little bit not much and then we come the summer of 2021 we were seeing him a lot then mm -hmm. and kind of getting to know one another and stuff like that and then then he made made the nfr and and then we were seeing each other quite a bit so i remember facetiming him or talking to him a few times that summer and uh him bringing up y'all's names and how well you know, like Jagger really liked y'all. Yeah. And, um, you know, which made Samantha's life easier, you know, when Jagger's able to have some buddies on the road. <laughs> and uh, it sounded like he kind of saw, kind of going, I guess maybe going back to that same mentality that I was talking about with Stetson and how he might approach picking a traveling partner. But, like, it sounded like he saw a glimpse of himself at a younger age and you guys yeah i i think so in a way it like he said it before too like he was having fun when he was rodeoing and 
I mean, like, me and Stetson are always there goofing around and, like, the only time we really get serious is when we climb in the buck and shoot. The rest of the time, we're just having fun and doing what any other 23-year-olds, 22-year-olds would be doing, like, enjoying life. And I think I think he's seen that and kind of reminded of his younger self. So I think it might have took a liking to it. Yeah. Yeah. So then... <clears throat> Y'all get back with that, back, back from 2021, JB's going, How? what was that like going into that NFR? You're now at your second NFR, traveling with Stetson, watching him do his thing, but then also being at JB's first NFR. It it was awesome. Like, I grew up watching that guy and idolized the way he went about it, his career and the way he rode bulls, and I never – for one, I never thought I'd get to share a locker room with him, like, because I didn't think he'd ever come rodeo. Right. And then I didn't, I thought maybe by the time I got into the PBR, he'd be gone. Yeah. So, like, to get to share a locker room with him at his first NFR, I mean, that was badass. I'm like, yeah. hell yeah, I'm getting to hang out with J.B. Mooney. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, it happened for the last several years, but... Yeah, that that was in itself was one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, yeah, I just I, that that just kind of hit me as we were as we were talking about it that like you know that yeah I mean uh, it was twenty twenty one and man <clears throat> getting to see him at rodeos I'm sure was cool enough. Yeah, but yeah, and then he won the very first round. I think he's like eighty eight points or something like that. Won that first round. At the split it with somebody maybe I can't remember. I split it with and that oh, you did that yeah that that's was, cool. That was the other crazy thing. I'm like I because I was out before him and I was winning it at the time, and then he tied me, and you were so jacked. And I was like, I just, that was my first round win at the NFR. Yeah, and that was his, and I'm I'm like this is crazy. Like how many kids when they're 14 of watched jb mooney and idolized him so much and then here i am dang winning around with him at his first nfr completely forgot about that it's it's crazy how things happen that is so neat that's a wild story and then was that did uh did did stetson end up winning the bull riding that year i can't remember Uh, that part i want uh i think sage won it that did sage win it that year yeah um so looking at like, I feel like this is just my observation, but like your riding style is maybe even a little closer to JB's than it is Stetson. Yeah, is that yeah you feel I that way? Yeah, Stetson's he's a little shorter and compact, but then like I watch him and he rides a lot like JB too. Like he'll get strung out on one and make them hail mary moves and flash it up and make it look good too i think he's just short a shorter compact guy gotcha whether jb's a little longer limbed and stuff like myself but yeah i like i mean he talks about it watching guys that have a similar body style and similar riding style to you and i mean that i always watched him ride that's him and troy dunn they were the only two guys i ever really watched oh you so you did watch jb ride a lot yeah okay um yeah, Jay, uh, Stetson was here, I think it was in the spring, and giving some of the bull riders 
young guys here, some pointers, and ended up getting on a couple bulls. And then, then I'm sure you know you saw and were aware, uh, got on a dang bareback horse. <laughs> like, had he ever even talked about that? Uh. Uh-uh. That was so after wild. He, after he talked about it, he thought about cracking out. Did he think about it? <laughs> yeah. And then since I'm sure he's ruled it out. Yeah. <laughs> good. Good. Um, yeah, that he was just walking by. And Kevin at the time was getting on bareback horses. And um, it's an old NFR horse. His name's Hang'em High. We call him uh, Baptist. And uh, when you put a loose flank on him, he'll, for a bareback rider, he's just real nice. He'll circle to the left and just kind of up and down. And uh, he's like 20-some-odd years old. He might be 30. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> anyways, yeah, I don't know if he'd even seen the trip yet that that horse was going to have because I ended up just bringing him back around and Stetson got on him for a second trip. But no vest, just threw on a glove and – I don't know if the vest maybe maybe was going to, in his mind, it was going to have him thinking he was taking it too serious or something. <laughs> but golly, it was so funny. And Rusty was just shaking his head the whole time. <laughs> it's so wild to me, the amount of NFRs in the bronc riding that have come out of that family. Like, is it something about his personality that made him add bull riding? Yeah, I think so. Like he just wants to be a little different. Yeah, it, and like he his personality, like his brothers are a lot quieter and soft spoken, and you kind of don't realize they're there. But Stetson, you know, he's there. Like he's life of the party. Like you know, he's there when he wherever he's at. I, yeah, I think that's probably got a bit to do with it. What's your observation as far as <clears throat> what makes them guys be so successful? I I really think it's their upbringing. Like Cody, I think the way he's brought them boys up and their mentality, they've had it from day one. They've been raised the right way, and they've had that winning mentality instilled in them from day one. Mm-hmm. I like they don't they don't know losing they like and all they want to do is win and that's all that's all they care about that's all they talk about and i think that's what sets them apart and that like every single one of them's tough yeah and yeah i that mentality about life and riding in general is like you don't see a family very often that every single one of the people in that family are that way. Like it's it's kind of weird like that. They're, every single person in their family has a winning, want to win, desire mentality. Yeah. Like, and, that, and then, I mean, you can have friends and stuff like that, but when your own family is that way, I mean, that's pretty cool and that helps a lot. Yeah, it's every day. Yeah. You're getting fed that type of yep. motivation. Um, yeah, cause Statler, so speaking of people that got on there first that day, Statler got on a bull (laughs) also, now that I'm thinking back, it's a very exciting rodeo time episode. If y'all haven't watched it, please go check out (laughs) Stetson getting on his first bareback horse. Um, has Statler thought about any, getting on any more bulls? 
I don't know if he has since then. I know he was wanting to ride bulls like a little bit before then. Uh-huh. But he never did, but maybe that cured him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because that bull was a lot like that horse in that like very rider friendly trip. You know, just you know, puts on a turn signal and turns back real slow up and down. And um yeah, Statler rode the snot out of him. Um so going into your fourth NFR, what's been different? Well, let's talk about the the third NFR last year. So the second one is when you went with J J B and Stetson had a great NFR. What what about that third year? Twenty twenty two. It was it well, throughout the year it wasn't as good as it should have been. I I hadn't been home for four years. And I was kind of, the last 21 and 22, I was, got banged up quite a bit. And I was, it was weird for the first time ever, I was starting to get homesick. Like the whole time I had been here before then, I never wanted to go home. Didn't care about going home. I just wanted to be over here and riding bulls. And I think I was getting banged up and kind of getting a little sour on things and stuff. And I was starting to want to go home and see all the family and stuff like that. So I ended up doing that in October and November last year. I went home, spent two months back home, and spent time around family and rode a bunch of horses and stuff with my uncle. And and uh, and then when I got back over to the NFR, I, it, I was refreshed. It felt like I had weight lifted off my shoulders. Like I wanted to be here again. And uh, I, the NFR went decent and stuff. So it was... It was kind of one of them up and down years to where it it had its good parts, but then there was a few parts that weren't so good, but mm-hmm. ended on a good note. So. Yeah. So what's been different about this year? Honestly, I can't really figure it out other than I went to Denver and Fort Worth and I was doing everything I knew possible to get prepared and feel confident riding aside from getting on a lot of practice balls. Like in the, in the earlier days, like 18, 19, and then back home in Australia, like I got on a lot of practice balls, but kind of 20, 21, 22, I wasn't getting on a whole lot of practice balls. And I didn't do any good at Denver, any good at Fort Worth. I made it back to the semifinals in San Antonio purely off of the previous year's world standings. I don't, I'd fallen off like 13 balls in a row. And at that point, I didn't know what to do. And we were in San Antonio at the Extreme Bulls. And I didn't do any good there. And JB was there. And I said, what are you doing the rest of this week? He said, nothing. Just be back at the house until I come back down here. I said, well, I'm coming to the house and I'm going to get on balls every day. And I'm going to figure this shit out because I've had enough. And I'm sure he was... So excited uh, he gets the buck bulls. Yeah, and he, be around it. He was like, "Come on, we'll do it." And I don't know what it was, but the years before, before every now and again, I'd take my helmet off and I'd wear my hat, and I always liked it because I could see a lot clearer. If I was in a bad spot, I could see where I had to be better, and I could get there. Well, at this point, I mean, I hadn't stayed on anything, so I'm like. Screwed the helmet. I ain't wearing it. 
and I'm going to get on a shitload of practice balls. And I got on, I think, like nine or ten balls that week before I went back to San Antonio for the semifinals. And I wore my hat. And I know getting on the practice balls helped a lot. And I've been doing it ever since the rest of this year. I've been getting on practice as much as I could when I wasn't rodeoing. And I think the hat helped a little bit. But then definitely being around JB, and I've always looked up to the older guys like the Troy Duns, the JB Mooney, Tough Hederman, like that older generation. I've always thought they were tough cowboys, and that was their mentality. And same with, like, my dad and my uncle back home. They rode bulls. They were they were rough, tough cowboys, and that was their mentality, and that's how they went about riding. And I think being around JB and being around that mentality all the time, I think it rubbed off, and it kind of reminded me of that. And I think that has been kind of this year that's really helped me is having that mentality and being around it all the time more often. I think it that's just become my mentality and I think that's helped a lot. I've talked about this like on a couple of different podcasts, but like I was I was talking to Marcus Latrell and I was ex- the Navy SEAL. Yep. He was on he was like lone survivor. Mark Wahlberg played him in a movie. And I was telling him about the knocker balls, you know those big balloons that guys will get in and go out there with yeah. a fighting bull? Yeah. Well, when you watch them on the internet, all that you see is like the person's ankles. So we bought some for the beaches, and we we and uh, Cody Webster brought a fighting cow, like a sure enough fighting bull, you know? Yeah. And, uh, well, we got these knocker balls in, and they were half the size. <laughs> and it came up above the guy's knees. And so we blow them up, put them on these guys, and we're about to film. And I'm explaining this to Marcus, and I was like, and we thought, well, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> and he stopped me, and he goes, whoa, 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 that right there. Don't ever let go of that. Yeah. And it was crazy to me that this Navy SEAL recognized it's this point that I think every cowboy, you know, has to have in them whenever they're at least getting on rough stock and or doing anything Western at least. It's like you get faced with this challenge. Riding bulls is one of them where it's like you do throw out to a certain extent. You throw out, you know, the safety vest for lack of better terms, like like you're getting on a bull and it's dangerous and you could lose your life, you know? And now where do you draw the line? Like should a guy get on a bull with no vest? I don't think so, you know? Um, Should a guy get on a bronc with no vest? I think getting on a bull without a helmet is kind of in the same ballpark as getting on a bronc with no vest. Yeah. And there's just – Joe Rogan was asking me about it. He was like, is there a stereotype? Is there a difference? And I said, yes. I said, anybody that comes to the my house and wants to learn how to ride bulls, you're going to wear a helmet. Yeah. But, like, if JB or Kai showed up at my house and wanted to get on, like, they don't have to – I'm not going to make them wear a helmet. And call it grandfathered in or whatever, but there's just a certain mentality. There's something cowboy about it. Yeah. And I'm not advocating that young people start riding bulls without a helmet. I'm really not. But it's it's kind of like smoking that cigarette. I don't think people should smoke cigarettes. But when JB does it, it looks pretty dang cool, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know, it, 
I'm not going to go smoke one, but I can appreciate JB smoking a cigarette, riding a bull in a cowboy hat. Yeah. And um, I've done, with Bronx, I've done, like I've, I would take my vest off occasionally. Yeah. And it, it just, as you leave the chute, it's almost like, like burning the boats. You throw, you know, you're going to get out, you're going to jump out of an airplane without the parachute and you better do it right. And it makes you like, kind of like, Hey, I don't have a safety net. That's what I meant a while ago. Not a vest, a safety net. You throw the safety net out and it's do or die. And there's something about that that affects your try. Yeah. Now the downside is if you, one of the reasons why I like new guys coming here if they get on bulls, like I make them wear helmets because sometimes they just don't know how to try yet. Yeah. You know, and like the first couple of times they get on a bull, their adrenaline's through the roof and they can't help it. They're going to, they're trying their, their ass off. But about that 10th, 11th, 12th time we're practicing on a Tuesday afternoon, it's hot, it's two o'clock, they're tired, there's no music. Sometimes they'll realize what it means to not show up yeah. mentally and they're just getting on for for the sake of it. Yeah. And those are the days where, you know, you now you're working a hang up. They'll get jerked down. And so that's one of the reasons like I feel like you as a professional like you're to the point in your bull riding like you know what it's like. You know where you got to go mentally to perform your best. Yeah. And that doesn't guarantee safety cuz it is bull riding. But Damn, it eliminates a lot of that risk. Yeah. When a guy's going to try his ass off, it eliminates so much of the risk. Yeah. And that's one thing I don't think people understand, that when you and JB give your 100%, like, it's different than Joe Blow bull rider getting on in a backyard bull riding, and he's doing it just so people think he's a bull rider. Yeah. That's much different. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I And it's funny you say that. I. I think that's what did help me this year. Like, I took the hat off. I was hanging around JB. Like, it got to the point where I gave a shit, but at the same token, I didn't give a shit. Like, I gave a shit that I wanted to win, and I was going to do what I had to do to win. But other than that, I didn't give a shit what happened. Yeah. And that tough cowboy mentality, if you're going to wear a hat, you're going to try your ass off. Yep. And if you get hurt, that's part of it. Yep. Suck it up. And... At the same time, you give a shit and you want to win, but other than that, you don't give a shit. What happens, you're just going to try yourself and do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yep. It wakes you up a little. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yep. I don't know, you see so many guys, like, they do. I mean, them helmets, you know, you clack the top of their head or one of them horns hit the face mask or, you know, heaven forbid they get stepped on and it's just like, man, I'm glad I was wearing that. And it's just like, yes, Absolutely. You may have done a little different. It may have worked out differently had you not. You probably would have changed some things, and it would have changed the way you ride bulls, you know. Again, I'm not advocating it. I'm really not. And I told Joe Rogan on the podcast, I was like, out of 10, you might see two guys, Yeah. you know, not wearing helmets. And uh, he pulled up Houston, and I was like, there's – and it was a video of JB, and he what, and you were on the back of the shoes. I was like, Kai Hamilton's one that doesn't, you know, right now either. And uh, that's your two out of ten for this for today's pick. Yeah. And, um, anyways, it's kind of a double standard, I guess. Like I said, I I love watching you and JB 
do it. But again, any bull rider who comes here, if they're new to it, hey man, you got to wear this. Yeah, you know, sure. Um, how do you feel going into? You've been on a few practice bulls. It's what is it? November. Got about two weeks. Yeah, two weeks and two days before the first perf. What are your plans between now and the NFR? Just keep getting on a lot of practice bulls, like going to an extreme bulls this weekend, and then there's another bull riding next Thursday in Cisco. I'll go do, and then other than that, I'll just be getting on a lot of practice bulls. I think uh, at the start of the year, I know when I was getting on a lot of bulls and I went to Houston, everything was just like second nature. I didn't think about nothing. It was just everything was working, and I knew what that felt like, and I know what it feels like, so that's I'm just recreating that now. I'm getting on bulls so that when I show up there first round, everything's just clicking. It's like second nature, so. Yeah. Yep. Um, sitting second what are your future plans as far as like bull riding's concerned or are you just kind of taking it one year at a time pretty much just taking it one year at a time i i have had thoughts about going to the pbr and stuff like that and i think i will at some point i just uh like i said goals of i i've figured out how to set goals and how to set goals that uh, obtainable for me so I mean at the moment I, I've got goals and stuff in the PRCA and I want to get them achieved and then move on to my other ones so uh, you and Stetson got some bulls? Yeah we, we bought some bulls off JV earlier this winter when uh, it was time to start heading back towards Utah and stuff we didn't have any bulls up there I said, let's get some bulls so I can keep practicing. So. Oh, okay, so they're practice bulls. Yeah, well, they are practice bulls, but they've downed both of us. Really? A little bit. <laughs> so they're they're getting a little ranker than. Yeah, we uh, we actually sold two of them to Will O'Connell this summer. We we said they're good they're good bulls, and I mean we'll practice on them, but they they are getting good. He said, I we said to him, take them if they work out. You can buy them. If not, just bring them back and we'll practice on them. But they've been working out for him, so yeah. he bought them. Yeah. Dang. That's kind of funny. Like, yeah, they're practice bulls, but they're practice bulls for number one and two in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that's a that's an interesting concept for a practice bull. Because yeah. when you said that, I thought, oh, they must, you know, kind of jump kick, turn back a little bit. And then it's like, no, 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 it's number one and two. Yeah, so now they're going down the road. <laughs> yeah. There, we got a couple of nicer ones there, too, to boost our confidence back up. <laughs> so you're talking about getting on all those bulls. Like, Stetson's not, though, right? No. Like, he, he's a different cat. Like, he, well, he said to me during the winter, like, I was starting to think, like, you might have been getting on too many practice bulls. And I'm like... <laughs> I ain't changing nothing. I'm riding everything. I'm getting on these practice bulls. But, and then I got to thinking about it. Well, like he rides Bronx too. Uh So he's getting, I'm getting on the same amount of bulls as he is pretty much. But then he's getting on all these Bronx before his bulls. And I know how much riding a saddle horse helps my bull riding too. Having something moving underneath you all the time on a Uh daily basis. I'm like, well, if he's getting on 
he's pretty much getting on twice as many head as I am. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to practice. That's a good point. And bronc riding, like, you can sit on some of them, but you will not win a check. Yeah. You have to move your feet. Not only do you have to move your feet, but you have to be in rhythm and time with them. You're moving your feet fast. Like, it might be, like, the second best thing you can do. For your bull ride. For your bull ride. Yeah. Outside of riding bulls. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, bareback riding, I don't know. Who knows about bareback riding? <laughs> Them guys are a different breed. Um, what about the gym? Does Stetson or yourself ever get go to the gym? Uh, little bits. I I used to be really big on it and do it a lot, but I think I kind of got sour on it. But now it's just little stuff. Like I'll do maybe like three workouts a week, and it's just kind of all body weight stuff. I don't want to get. I don't like lifting weights and stuff like that, but I know I know like you gotta have a strong core and a strong back and and so I mean I do little stuff to work on that and then shoot I know getting on bulls that's killing two birds with one stone. You're working out the exact muscles you're gonna use. Right. And you're getting your time and down and stuff. So I do I do a little of gym stuff and so does Stetson, so Yeah, we got a we got a gym back here and Jacobs Crawley made a comment to me. It was the year he won the world in 15. He just talked about quality of life, you know, as far as the gym was concerned. Like, yes, rodeo, it's obviously physically demanding. And, um, you know, because I've always enjoyed growing up. I I didn't rodeo a lot as a kid kid, you know, but we we, I I loved football, and so I've always been in the gym a little. And – but, you know, rodeoing, it's pretty obvious. The best thing for bull riding is getting on bulls. Yeah. And you just cannot replace practice bulls with the gym. And I think that's where guys mess up. It's not yes. that going to the gym is bad. I mean, it can be if you're getting too big. Yeah. But I think the problem is when guys try to replace bulls with the gym. Yeah. I don't think that's something that can be done. Yeah. Um, I have had one guy here. He was just so small at the time, skinny, and I was, and it, it was actually it wasn't bull riding, but I was like, I think you might be good to gain ten pounds of muscle, yeah, to keep from having injuries, yeah. You know, you got to get on to get better, but just, the, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm, t- he was weighing like one forty, maybe oh, maybe a little less, even. yeah. And uh, and the horse riding that can be. And bareback riding specifically, that can be <laughs> jerked around oh, by yeah. some of them big rascals. Yeah, for sure. So we got him up to like 153, 155, and he was still lean and mean. But, again, anyhow, yeah, JB has been always been one that's gotten on a lot of bulls. Yeah. And had that same mentality. But um, that's a good point about Stetson with, having gotten on so many Bronx throughout the, and not just any Bronx, like he's getting on the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, well, that's a, that's a real cool story, man. That's, that's an interesting, like I, I knew you would just falling in with JB with Stetson, you know, getting over here and going to NFRs your second year. Like I, I just, I've always known, you had to have one of those winning Australian mindsets that all them guys have. Yeah. We usually wrap these things up with uh, 
just like a, a motivational quote that has meant something to you? Anything like a one-liner or something that's stuck with you through the years? I think to me it's been if you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, coming from Australia over to here, like, it could have been easy to go home and call it quits and go back to working for a living, but I got something I want to do, and I know if I want it bad enough, I'll figure out a way to get it. Do you have something on the side that you're doing now? I mean, like, I don't I don't think you should, but, like... I, the only, I've, I just bought a place, so, I mean, other than that, I mean, now it's, I need to figure out something to do with my money so that when I do finish riding bulls, I don't have to work for someone else again. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool, your mindset and everything. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for, uh, you guys go listen to, uh, or uh, go follow Kai, Instagram, all the things, and uh, watch out for him this year at the NFR. And uh, thanks for coming on, old son. Thank you. Yes, sir. We're on to the next one. Pow, pow.